We're in Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And they came, and there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler over the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed upon him. And there was a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are, are surrounding you and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he had directed that something be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Have you ever felt absolutely helpless? Helpless. Remember this little boy, whose name I won't mention, who got his head cut in the spindles of the handrails, Somehow he was playing and he got his head in and then he couldn't get it out again. I don't know what happened. Maybe his head swelled, but you know, he couldn't get it out. And he was, of course, very frightened, whimpering quietly because he was worried about being punished for being caught in that predicament. Absolutely helpless. Couldn't do anything. And of course, uh, easy enough to get him out and everything was okay. But it happens to all of us. Sometimes we're caught in predicaments. God's children are caught in predicaments that leave them absolutely helpless. There's forces far greater than us. They they overwhelm us and there's nothing we can do to overcome them. I'd like to have you look with me at Luke 8. There's a fairly large section read. I'm going to be referring to a little bit larger section. I'm going to take a broad view of this uh, chapter in Luke 8, at least the second half of it, and I'm going to look at four forces that can easily overwhelm us and leave us broken and helpless. And in each of these instances, see how Jesus Christ is our deliverer and our Savior, why we can trust him, why we can rely on him. So as we look at this passage, uh, here's the three things I'm going to be looking at. Uh, Jesus shows us that he can help. He demonstrates that he can help. Secondly, he reveals who he is. Why can he help? 
Well, he reveals who he is, why we can trust him. And then thirdly, he answers that question that we want to know, but will he help? And we find that he promises, promises to help us. So let's look at uh, these instances. Uh, And the first thing I'm going to do is look at these four to see how Jesus shows us that he can help. These are four monsters, four terrors of life that none of us want to face. We'll see them one by one. Nature unleashed. We'll see demons driving a man mad. We'll see death breaking a father's heart. And then disease draining hope out of a woman. And really Luke is saying, just watch. Just watch. See what you learn by watching what Jesus does. So the first monster is the destructive power of nature. Nature, of course, can be beautiful. makes us praise and glorify God, but it can easily turn against us. It can overwhelm us. In India this last week, a piece of a glacier broke off, caused the damming up of a river, and then subsequently a huge flood which killed dozens of people. Who would have thought? Who would have ever predicted something like that? Of course, in our own country, the, one of the richest countries in the whole world, a storm a few weeks ago caused millions in the South to be without power, without heat, without water, and many died. Nature can just overwhelm us. So here we are looking at the destructive power of nature, and I'd like to read for you uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. Now, in one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched it out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? So the disciples aren't fishing. It's a small boat, really. If you look at examples of it now, they're small and the The gusts of wind are so uh, fast that the sails do them no good. They're taking on water so fast that they can't bail fast enough. And this is almost humorous. Uh, If you look at Mark's account in Mark chapter uh, 4, it says that Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion. Just having a nice little nap. It's kind of interesting. And the disciples, of course, are distressed. They're helpless in the face of these fierce powers of nature. And he says, they say, how can you sleep at a time like this? And Jesus got up and he spoke directly to the forces of nature. Hush, he said. Be still. And everything was calm. So he shows here that he can. He can help us against the forces of nature because he has power over nature. So in this brief overview, let's go to the second instance. It's the monsters 
of these dark angels, these demons which can come against us, which are bent on destroying everything that is designed to glorify and worship God. Now, we don't talk much about demons anymore, do we? I don't think we do. Certainly not in society. You don't hear about it on the news and sometimes not even in church. Because I think we're trained now to think the only things that matter are the things we can sort of taste, touch, hear, feel, smell. You know, the the things that are material are the only things which are real. And so we think that the material world is all that matters that can explain everything about us. Of course, if we stop and think about it, most of what our life consists of can't be explained by just material world. Most of the things that matter to you, the things that you'd live for, the things you'd die for, can't be explained by the material world. And so the Bible points us to the reality of a supernatural world. In fact, it's very rational, isn't it, to believe in this. If we believe in God, if you believe there is a God, then you already believe that there's a being who dwells in a non-material realm, a supernatural realm. And if there is such a realm, then it's not a very far-fetched at all to think that God would have created other beings to dwell in the same realm. And these are the angelic powers that live there. So there are angels that we talk about, but there's also what we would call the dark angels, the demons, who have, like people have done in many places, who have rebelled against God. And they oppose God. They're bent on opposing him. And so the second instance I'd like to read is, begins in verse 26 of Luke 8. And it concerns this great monster of the demonic forces that surround us. Verse 26, Luke 8. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered into him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down into the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. But the herdsmen saw what had happened. They ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. 
and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city the great things Jesus had done for him. So we're taking a quick look at these instances, and here's the dark angels that have possessed this man. They're they're in his brain, they're in his emotions like a thousand parasites buzzing around and eating away at him. He's been driven mad by it, and he's helpless. Actually, so helpless that he can't even pray, right? He doesn't even know what to say. And Jesus commanded the demons, notice he commanded the demons to get out, and they did. The destructive power of those demons was demonstrated as they went into this herd of swines, and the swine then ran off a cliff and into the lake and drowned. So here again, Jesus shows that he can help. He can rescue us. Why? Because he is Lord over every power. He has the power over evil. The third instance is from the text that was read. And I'll take this one first. It's disease. Here's a woman who has a disease that's chronic and it's painful. We don't know exactly what it was, but it seems that this kind of bleeding would have rendered her ceremonially unclean. So she couldn't worship with God's people. She would have been kept at arm's length. What's, what's more, it's something that lasted for 12 years. Can you imagine something chronic like that, that you've been suffering for a dozen years, and she was wasting her money. She had spent everything she had, Mark reports, everything. Mortgaged her home, emptied her savings to go to every doctor that claimed they could help her, and none of them helped her one bit. And so now she comes to Jesus. If only I can just touch his clothes, I know I'd be healed. And somehow I I think she was low to the ground, don't you think? Because just touch the hem of his garment, maybe. Just grabbed it a little bit, and immediately she felt something change. I can't imagine what that was like. Something happened to her body so that she immediately knew that she was healed. She got up and declared to everybody that she had been healed. It shows, Jesus shows that he can heal. He has the power over every illness that affects us. And then the last instance, the great monster is death itself. Here's uh, Jairus, uh, apparently an important man, a wealthy man. But, of course, disease and death don't even care about any titles, right? They don't care about any of that. They don't even care about how well we've kept ourselves up, right? Exercise, diet, these are these monsters that attack us unexpectedly. He was hit, this Jairus was hit at his most tender spot. His 12-year-old daughter was desperately ill and dying. I'll do anything. Can you imagine? You'd say the same thing if someone you loved was dying. I'll do anything, but I don't know what I can do. Oh, I wish I could trade places with her. Oh, I wish it was me and not her. So he ran to Jesus for help. But on the way to the house, as you heard read earlier, on the way to the house, Jairus' servant met them, and he said, Sir, please don't bother Jesus anymore. I'm sorry to tell you this, but your daughter has died. And imagine how it must have just stabbed Jairus in the heart to hear this news. But Jesus kept walking. Jesus kept going to his house. And it's in verse 
uh, 50, he says, don't be afraid, trust me, she'll be fine. Wouldn't you love to hear those words? When all hope is gone, when grief overwhelms you, don't worry, trust me, everything will be fine. Then Jesus went into the room, he commanded the girl to get up, and she did. Jesus shows that he can. He has power over death itself. So that's the first thing I want you to see in these instances in Luke chapter 8. Jesus shows us that he can. He illustrates it by actually doing it. He can rescue us from these monsters. So the question is, why? Why can he help us? Why is it that he has power over all these instances? And so the second thing is, in all of these instances, Jesus reveals who he is. It's a revelation of why we can trust him. So again, very briefly, let's look at these four instances. In Luke chapter 8, verse 25, the disciples ask an important question. They've seen Jesus command the forces of nature. Everything is still, and they say, "Where?" Uh, I'm sorry, verse 25, they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Who is this? Important question. Who is this? They saw Jesus directly commanding nature. Now, you and I could command nature too, right? But nothing would happen. But he commanded nature, and it obeyed. It bowed to his words. Now, here's the remarkable thing about that. As you look through Scripture, only the Lord God directly commands Scripture. Only the Lord God. Uh, There are so many examples. I read one at the beginning of this service in Psalm 107, 28 and 29. It says, uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, Yahweh, the Lord God, caused the storm to be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. It's something that the Lord does. All through Scripture you'll see that. How about the others? Well, you'll see miracles that are performed, but no angel, no prophet, no king, no human ever directly commands nature. They always pray for the rain to stop or pray for the rain to begin or pray for the sea to part because the agent who has power over nature is the creator himself and only the creator. So here was something interesting. It's Jesus doing what only God can do. He didn't pray to God. He directly commanded the forces of nature. He was demonstrating who he was. Who is this? Jesus is revealing that he was the creator with power over all of nature. That's why we can go to him in a time of distress. Let's look at the second instance. The monster of these demonic dark forces which attack all of us. And the demons say in verse 28, What business do you have with us? Don't torment me, the man says. Now, I'll tell you, there's mystery about the way these evil forces work in our hearts or in our spirits, how they touch our emotions and our mind, but they do invade our lives. That's what Scripture says. Unless the Spirit of God lives there, unless the Spirit of God, who is greater than anyone in the world, an empty heart is an invitation for these evil spirits. They affect our mind. As you look at the way that evil works in Scripture, you'll see that they confuse us, they deceive us, they fill us with pride, they fill us with conceit. 
The Bible tells us that the very nature of the evil one is to stir up violence and anger in us. And you see, of course, many of these things exhibited in the life of this man in Luke chapter 8. So why did Jesus come? I, I love this. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the first epistle of John. Chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So who is he that he has power over the evil one? Yeah, the evil one. He's not an angel. Actually, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that the angels worship him as Lord and God. He has command over all the forces of the angelic forces, whether they are the angels that serve God or these dark angels that oppose God. He can call them down, he said, to help him, but he can also command them at his will as he does in Luke chapter 8. And so Jesus commanded the legion of demons to get out. And it says the man was left clothed and in his right mind. Emotions, mind, spirit, at peace. So Jesus reveals who he is. He's the Lord over all powers. He has all authority in his hands. Why can he help me? Because of who he is. Third instance. Jesus asked, after the woman has touched the hem of his garment, he says, who has touched me? It's a strange question, isn't it? I don't know the answer if you ask why did Jesus ask that question. It says he felt power leave him. It's in verse 46. Mysterious in many ways, I admit, but at the very least, it means this, that healing is not a magical act. If someone tells you, you know, pray on this mat, which I will send to you, which has been anointed by me, and then you'll be healed, don't believe them. If someone says, you know, here's a vial of water from the Jordan River. Send me $100 and I'll send this to you. Anoint yourself with this and you'll be healed. Don't believe them. If someone says, there's a special place where you have to bathe, a special incantation or prayer you have to say. No, it's not that. It's the power of the Lord Jesus that heals and so he noticed when power came from him, because he's the source of true healing. He heals. And so, again, he's revealing himself here, isn't he? He's showing that he can heal because he has the power to destroy disease. Why can we trust him? Because of who he is. He's the one who has power over every illness that afflicts mankind. Then the fourth instance Here's Jairus, come to my house, please. On the, way, on the way, before Jesus gets there, the girl has died. People are weeping and mourning over her death. And Jesus steps into the room and commands life to come into her. In a way, he commands death to leave and life to come into her. And he reveals himself. He shows that he has power over death itself because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Why? Why can we trust him? Because of who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. So he shows us that he can. We, we see it in Luke 8 and really in the rest of the Gospels. He really can overcome these monsters that face us in our lives. And then he reveals why he can help us. Because he is Lord and God, the sovereign who has power over nature, over demons, over disease, and over death. And so what's the question we ask? Oh, but will he? Will he help me? Is there a promise that he'll do this? Well, for the ones I love, is there a promise that he'll do this for me? 
That's the question. I think all of God's children ask this because we all feel helpless in the face of these great monsters that face us. It's the, it's the question that the leper asked in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 2. This leper, suffering helplessly, cast out from society, came and knelt before Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, yes. Will Jesus say yes to me now? Sometimes it's easier to deal with these monstrous forces when they come against us than it is to deal with these forces when they come against people that we love. Oh, Lord, will you free the one I love? Will you? Will you help him? And I want to say unequivocally that the answer is yes. Jesus promises that he will. Now stick with me. Let's talk about that for just a moment. In Revelation 21, verse 5, it says, Behold, I make all things new. New means whole, refreshed, renewed, free from the decay and tears and sorrow of this fallen world. Behold, I make all things new. That's what he's doing. And like all children, we're asking, well, how is he doing that? And when will he do that? And when will I experience that. We're impatient. We have lots of questions. I I think they're real questions and important questions and questions that I struggle with and I think all Christians struggle with. But let's look at it like this. What is his priority? What did Jesus come to do? And so let's talk about how he frees us from sin. How is the Lord at work in your life freeing you from the presence and the power of sin? He said that his chief aim was to give his life as a ransom for, for sinners. Did he do it? Did he free us from sin? Well, there is forgiveness of sin now. The Bible promises it. There is justification now. We have peace with God now in the Lord Jesus Christ. All those things have been accomplished, and yet, what happens when you look at your own heart? When you look at your own life? There's still a battle with sin, isn't there? Uh, the Bible calls it The flesh, the the sinful desires are still in us. It's not like they've been eradicated because Jesus died on the cross. Galatians chapter 5 tells us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. What does that mean? It means that those desires are still there. They're still yanking at us. They're pulling us away from the Lord. And, And we have to choose. We have to choose moment by moment to walk after the Spirit, to listen to what God is saying to us. What are we saying? Well, he is at work. What the cross did is being done. He is now healing us inwardly. He's making us whole spiritually. But the battle is not over till the day that we see Jesus face to face. We have to be clear on that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says that when we see him, when we see him, we shall be like he is. That's when this process will be completed. We call this process sanctification, don't we? It's, it's how God is making us holy, pure. He's redeeming us. He's making us everything that he intends for us to be. He's renewing us so that we, every day, are taking on more and more the perfect character of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it isn't there yet, is it? He's still at work. And friends, the same is true 
with our bodies and our minds and our emotions. God is at work, but he's not done. Romans 8 says that here we groan. In these bodies we groan. Why do we groan? It says because we are waiting for redemption. And then it goes on talking about the Spirit of God. It's a beautiful, deep mystery there. But it says the Spirit of God groans with us. He, he stands alongside of us and turns our groans of pain into prayers that the Father hears and answers. God's at work. He's at work in our spirit, soul, and body. Here's why I say that. There's a beautiful benediction at the end of the first letter of Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 23, it says this, May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be presented complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Entirely. Everything that you are. May he sanctify you entirely. Not just our sinful desires, but it says specifically, and it's it's all together. If you look at the language, may your spirit, soul, and body be sanctified. All of it is waiting to be made whole, made holy, made perfect, made back to the way God intended it to be. Well, when? When will this happen? Well, it says, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. This was a good church, by the way. Read the opening chapter of 1 Thessalonians where they're praised for all that they're doing. And, and yet they found something interesting, that in the church, their brothers and sisters, their loved ones, were dying. They weren't all being healed. Why is that? They were worried. And so there's teaching in that uh, book about what God's purpose is. And, and in chapter 4, Scripture tells us that uh, they were told to wait. Don't worry. At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who are dead in Christ will be raised again, even before you who are alive at that coming. And we'll all be together in the presence of the Lord. So it's at his coming, when everything will be raised to life, a new kind of life, by him who makes all things new. Here's what I'm saying. Will Jesus? Yes, he will. He promises that he will. That's what he's doing now. He's already accomplishing that in our lives. Jesus promises he will help, but we have to wait. And boy, is patience hard, isn't it? It's tough. I don't know if you're like me. If your mother always told you that you were impatient, my mother always told me I was impatient and I've never gotten over it. I'm sorry that it hasn't improved any. I think my wife would say the same thing. I'm impatient. We're all impatient. When we're dealing with these trials and afflictions in our life, the impatience rises up. I want to tell you something. Our lives are lived in the kitchen, not in the dining room. Can I explain that? Our life is lived in the kitchen, not in the dining room. And God is at work cooking up a whole new creation, but his work is being done in the kitchen. It's a, he's cooking up a whole new you and me, but it's happening in the kitchen. Every now and then we can get the aromas of what he's doing. We get spoonfuls of glory. Yes, healings. Yes, rescue from demonic powers. Unbelievable rescues from the forces of nature, from things that we can't control. We see him healing, restoring bodies and minds, but it's not the banquet yet. We're still in the kitchen. He's not done. 
We're going to move to the dining room one day. And that's where we'll taste the fullness of what he has. So what do we say to the helpless? Yeah, we do have to tell them to wait, but not just wait. I think we tell them what Jesus told these people in Luke chapter 8. I think this is what we tell ourselves. This is what we tell people like me who are impatient. We would say, as in verse 25, to the terrified disciples, where is your faith? We would say, as in verse 48, to that woman who was rejoicing at her healing, oh daughter, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. We would say, as in verse 50, to that heartbroken father who has just heard that his daughter has died, don't be afraid, only believe. We would call them to trust Jesus. Trust him. I've shown you in the scripture and I've shown you in the lives of your brothers and sisters. I've shown you in the history of the church that I can do these things, that I can give you deliverance from every power that overwhelms us. Secondly, I've revealed to you who I am, that I'm God incarnate. I have lordship, sovereign power over anything that could ever possibly threaten you. And thirdly, I promise you that I will deliver you. Nothing in heaven or on earth can separate you from my love. I will never leave you or forsake you till I bring you home to be with me. Trust me. Trust me, Jesus says. These days we hear a lot about vaccinations. Some of you maybe remember some time ago, maybe years ago, being taken for a vaccination when you were a child. You know, your mother took you, might have been in school, might have been in a doctor's office, and you were fine on the way there, but uh, then as you got there, you heard the screams coming from this room on the other side, and children coming out screaming and crying, tears coming down, and you started to tremble. You weren't quite so happy. And then your name was called. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You were crying, resisting, and your mother said, no, come on. And she took you. She grabbed you by the hand. She took you there. Do you understand? She was to blame. She took you there. And they rolled up your sleeve and they jabbed you and you screamed in pain. But what did you do when you screamed in pain? You know what you did? You clung even tighter to your mom because you trusted her. You trusted her. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I promise I will deliver you. Trust him. Trust him. He will rescue you. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are Lord, Savior, Deliverer, Helper in the midst of the flood. You know us, Lord. There there are people who are struggling with uh, forces that have sometimes been attacking them, whittling down at their courage and their faith for years. You know, Lord, there are people in our midst that are battling what this woman is battling, diseases. There's people, Lord, who have heartbreak and grief. Lord, turn our eyes to you. Give us patience, but give us faith, Lord, to see who you are, and that you're with us now in the midst of the storm, and that you will bring us safe to the other side. All this we pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, says, Therefore we do not lose heart. We face many trials, but it says we do not lose heart.
Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And then this. It says these afflictions are momentary and light. They're producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In this world, we will have trials. We will have afflictions. We will have, yes, illnesses, loss, and grief. But the Lord God, because He is Lord, is using all of these things to prepare us to enjoy a glory that we can't even imagine. So that's my benediction. May the Lord bless you as you wait. May the Lord give you faith to wait upon Him as He shows you His deliverance. Amen.